My name is Alethea. My story is true. I am a solitary creature by nature. I have no children, no siblings, no parents. I did once have a husband. If there is fate, who can say? But in the Grand Bazaar of Istanbul, I chose a memento. I like it. Whatever it is, I'm sure it has an interesting story. So, what would you wish for? What is your heart's desire? I do have a question. What does one do with three wishes? You'll see. wishing that is not a cautionary tale. We all have desires, even if they remain hidden from us. But it is your story, and I cannot wait to see where it goes. Oh, how it might end. Hello. Hello. He'll be staying for a while. I'm beginning to wish we'd never met. Don't say that! Make a wish! Save yourself! I have a wish. Welcome to the Strange Harbors podcast, a weekly discussion of film, television, and pop culture. My name is Jeff Zhang, and tonight I'm joined by Amir Ture and Derek Wong. Tonight we are talking about George Miller's latest film, the first since 2015's Mad Max Fury Road. This new one's called 3,000 Years of Longing, which stars Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton. And guys, I think this is probably the movie that we've covered that has made the least amount of money ever. I don't think we've ever <laughs> okay, covered yeah, a movie that has made less money. Okay, I think you made a statement last week or the week before about like the smallest movie we've done. Like, I still think about what is it? The um, I watched the movie. Now I don't remember the actual title of the movie. The Empty Man. The Empty Man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> How much money did that movie make? I don't know, actually. Okay, Empty Man made five million, so... I mean, it's been out for two years longer than this one, so I'm (laughs) sure that 3,000 years is probably going to beat it out one day or another. But Empty Man made five million out of a $16 million budget. 3,000 years of longing is uh, pretty dire. What is it, two million and change on a $60 million budget? Oof. So last night was my first experience in a movie theater watching a movie all by myself. There was zero people. Welcome to the club. In the theater. You too? For this one? Oh, no. I mean, like, not... Oh, okay. You know what's surprising? More people than I thought. I watched this with almost, like, five or six people. 
And really? so I was, I was actually Five or six people is more than you thought. <laughs> more than I sad. actually thought, which is sad, but also like, I mean, if yours is indicative of most theaters, then yeah, I had five times as many, right? Dude, I, I feel like I must have provided two out of the 2.6 million because we had a, like, a decent number of people in our theater. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I saw it last night, completely empty theater. One person came in, actually, while the previews were running. And then as soon as the dwarf guy showed up in like the first five minutes, he left. And then he never came back. <laughs> Maybe he thought it was Top Gun. Maybe he thought it was Top Gun. I don't know. Like, that's not Tom Cruise. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe let's talk a little bit about George Miller. Do you guys like George Miller as a filmmaker? I know uh, Mad Max Fury Road is very much beloved. People love that movie. I don't know. Have you guys seen any of his other movies? Apparently, he did Happy Feet. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Happy Feet 2. And he directed them both? Yeah. One of the more versatile filmmakers, I think. Babe, Pig in the City? What? Yeah, I like a lot of his stuff, actually. I think both the Babe movies are pretty good. Although he only wrote the first one. He didn't direct it. Some wild stuff in his filmography. Obviously, the Mad Max movies. Twilight Zone, the movie, which is wild, too huge uh, controversy in the production with the helicopter accident and everything. So he's like oh, right in the middle that of the that. Was that, 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 yeah. that's, that, that was the that one. Mm-hmm, oh, that's the that Landis one. movie where he like uh, killed some child yeah. actors. Yeah, yeah, Who were yeah. illegally hired. <laughs> yeah. Yo, that's wild. Lorenzo's Oil, which is actually a very good movie, by the way. Have you guys seen Lorenzo's Oil? No, I've heard it's good. Look, I'll admit I'm not very versed in George Miller. I have seen... Mad Max Fury Road and Happy Feet. That's it. <laughs> but you've never seen Happy Feet, too? I've seen Babe, but not Babe Pig in the City. And admittedly, I have not seen any of the old Mad Max movies. I mean, I've never really been entirely interested in watching any of the old ones. So I'm very not versed in George Miller. So Yeah. It's, it's a high bar when you, when you only really come from Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> I think the original Mad Maxes are worth going back and watching. Okay. I think all three of them. I don't know if the third one is supposed to be, like, bad or something, but I think it whips. (laughs) Yeah, no, they're all good. I think really the blueprint for, like, dystopian sci-fi stuff. It's good stuff. So this new one is 3,000 Years of Longing, one of the movies where I think the trailer is completely misleading. The vibes are off, as people would say. Wait, I don't think I recall this trailer being misleading. What did I miss? I don't know. I just feel like the soundtrack made it seem like... A successor to Mad Max Fury Road with like the synth and the bass and the pounding beat, a focus on the action when there really isn't that much in this movie. Uh, it's very much a sweeter, more tender movie than its trailer would lead you to expect. I think there's a lot of flashbacks, but mostly it's a two hander with Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba. I don't know. They just don't make movies like this anymore. And uh, we can see why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is also kind of a shame because I really kind of dug this movie. A throwback to like, I don't know, it's like an ode to storytelling. It just seems like a vintage kind of movie. Maybe a little racist, a little orientalist. I was going to say, do I have to fucking read Edward Said or some shit? <laughs> but not like offensively so. It's just a tinge of that stuff. But I dug this movie. I thought it was sweet. I thought the visuals were great. I don't know if everything really came together in the end, but I admire this movie a lot. I don't know what you guys thought. I liked it. I didn't love it. And I think I wanted to love it. 
but I think uh-huh. I just liked it. It didn't completely gel for me. I agree. Going rewatching the trailer, I do think I wanted a little bit more of the actiony type stuff that the trailer kind of promised. I did like the movie we got, but I don't think I truly got the through line of the movie until it was like too late, and then the retrospective was like, "Oh, that was good," but it didn't seem. Yeah, I think we'll get into it, but I think maybe some of that's by design. Sure, yeah. I think it's supposed to be abrupt a bit. But it is gorgeous. Um, It's really pretty. Like you said, it's a two-hander with two great actors. There's a lot to really like about this one. I do wish more people had gone to see it. It's good. It's interesting. It's probably not in that top echelon of the year, though, right? I don't think so, yeah. I think it's maybe, if you liked it a lot, it's like right under that. But I don't think it falls into my like most mind-blowing, right? Whereas like, I think a lot of Jordan Miller's other films, had this been 2015, Fury Road would have been, you know, or had this been, I don't know, 1981, Mad Max 2, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think this doesn't quite fulfill, as Derek was saying, the the super high expectations. What do you think, Derek? I pretty much on the same page as you guys. Looking back, I really liked my experience watching this movie. I remember, I mean, I'm only a couple days removed, but enjoying my time while watching this movie, but after having left the theater like this movie really hasn't stayed with me like it hasn't Mm. really made any kind of impression on me i think a lot of the character beats and the story beats are a little bit half-baked and i do feel like the ending is both rushed and yet overly long (laughs) you know what i mean like exactly what you mean yeah yeah i like this movie but again i think i agree with you amir i don't think it's gonna make my top list of like this year or anything also kind of talking about the trailer, you know, like Jeff, you mentioned, you know, this idea of like the trailer being misleading. And what I got from the trailer was that it was going to be like a very, very, very like weird movie. And it was a lot more normal than I thought. Like there are very weird aspects to it, right? It's the still idea weird. Like, it's still a weird It's still very weird. But like <laughs> yeah. the, the trailer gives off very weird vibes. Like almost yeah. like Mad Max is very weird, right? Or Mad Max Fury Road is like very, very weird. And I kind of wanted that which we didn't get, right? It was like almost not strange enough for me, I guess. I'm with you on that. A lot of the gorgeousness of the movie and a lot of the interesting things to look at were all the weird stuff. And I agree, there sort of wasn't enough of that. Mm -hmm. I agree with you guys also that I think Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton are both great in this movie. Like they're both two of the best actors we have right now. So it's really compelling to see them, you know, try to take on like a George Miller film. I just don't, like I said, think it completely works for me. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of Idris Elba lately. I saw that other movie, Beast. Oh, did you? Is it good? Yeah, it's not bad. Idris Elba and his family fights a lion. It's good as that movie is going to be. This one's a little bit more ambitious, I think. But I think Tilda Swinton's really good in this. I don't think I can see anyone else in this role of this, like, nebbish narratologist character that she plays. I do agree that this movie probably doesn't stay with you as much as uh, some others that we've seen this year, especially for movies about, like, stories and who gets to tell them. Yeah. Yeah. Nope is a movie that stays with me far, far more than this one, even though that movie's not just about, you know, like, storytelling. And I mean, this movie is, it's swirling around in my brain a little bit, but I don't think it's quite got the hold on me that something like Nope or even, like, The Matrix Resurrections has on me. You know, I don't know. A lot of things I admired in this movie, too, though. I think uh, this movie's a lot more tender than you would think. And I know a lot of people are complaining about the flashbacks and the stories that Idris Elba's Jin tells. 
But that's kind of the whole point of the movie, right? And I kind of dug all the stories that he told. Yeah, I like those the are like my favorite parts. I like yeah, really love yeah, going yeah. back. Those were like most of the weird fantastical elements we kind of got in, uh-huh. in the movie. So like those are the things I actually enjoyed the most. Do you have like a brief, brief synopsis of this movie? Like, yeah, I think the official synopsis is pretty good at establishing the characters and what this movie is about. So. While attending a conference in Istanbul, Dr. Alethea Binney, played by Tilda Swinton, happens to encounter a djinn who offers her three wishes in exchange for his freedom. This presents two problems. First, she doubts that he's real. And second, because she's a scholar of story and mythology, she knows all the cautionary tales of wishes gone wrong. The djinn, played by Idris Elba, pleads his case by telling her fantastical stories of his past. Eventually, she's beguiled and makes a wish that surprises them both. Yeah, so one of the biggest through lines of this movie is this bygone magic of storytelling, which I thought was actually very powerful because in the beginning of the movie at the conference, her colleagues like, you know, back in the day when science couldn't explain stuff, we had stories. We didn't know how the weather changed. We didn't know like how we differentiated between day and night. We just had stories to tell through mythology. But as we progress with science, and the more we know about this world, the magic of weaving mythology and stories has just kind of disappeared. And I think this movie as a whole is kind of like an ode to that weaving of fiction, which I thought was very powerful. I really like that. And I think it carries that through line throughout the whole movie quite well. I think some of the other things maybe doesn't quite gel. You guys probably agree with that, but... That main through line I really liked. I generally agree with that sentiment. Like, I love the way the stories were told. And, like, I think narratively, like, the way the script was written, like, it felt really natural kind of, like, moving from story to story, right? Each one kind of adds an element to not only, like, the overarching story, but, like, the relationship that it's trying to build between Alethea and the Jin. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I do think that the story falters in like the romance aspect of it. And I think that's where like, I wasn't completely convinced, right? The, mm-hmm. the relationship between Alethea and the Jin, but then also like some of the connections between Alethea's character and like the characters that we see in all the stories. I feel like he was trying to make a connection that didn't completely work for me. Mm. Yeah. I, Sort of disagree with Jeff on the on the story thing, and that I understand it's supposed to be a movie about the power of story, but I'm not sure it actually carried that through line through. I'm not sure that it has anything to say about the power of story, besides sort of the obvious surface level story being about the power of stories, and that stories here drive the narrative. It's central, but not like elaborated upon in any way that I haven't seen before, I thought. And I also agree with Derek that I don't think the romance aspect fully worked. Although I do recall right before they went into that, I was like, we've just gotten three stories about love, essentially. And mm-hmm. there's a movie with Idris Elba in it. How is this lady not falling in love with him? And so I, I was kind of <laughs> moving in the direction that the movie wanted me to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it doesn't completely come together, like you said. To speak on, like, the love story part, I think, you know, Alethea, one of her wishes is for her and the djinn to fall in love, right? I think maybe, like, the truncated and how rushed the romance is, is maybe, like, purposeful in that way. She apologizes for her wish because she's like, oh, it kind of denied us the chance to fall in love naturally, you know? Mm -hmm. That's what 
motivates her to set the djinn free with her final wish. But yeah, I agree. I think there's just something missing. I can't quite put my finger on it. It's just like the connective tissue just really isn't there. But I do admire the movie a lot. Did the movie need to be longer? Is it like, was there something like you felt something was missing? Like I think the movie needed to be a little bit more direct in what it was trying to say. <laughs> surprise, surprise, Derek. Yeah, right? No, because, okay, I think he lays out things that are just confusing. There's like a seed laid out about the Alethea character. Like, she doesn't seem to want to find love. Or can't seem to find love, right? Because she talks about her one other husband or ex-husband that she couldn't connect with. Jack, right? She has this box in her basement for this character. Because it, it seems like she comes to this realization, you are the person I've been looking for this whole time. But we're led to believe she wasn't looking for love. Like, is she just lying to herself? Or is she lying to the audience in saying that she was contempt with her life? I think it's both, right? I mean, I think it lost the best lives are the ones you believe a little bit yourself. I think she mm-hmm. had convinced herself of that. I think we as the audience were supposed to understand that that clearly wasn't true, right? Yeah. Well, it's also, and this is kind of like the thing that I was a little thrown off by, but there are really weird seeds that Miller sows in connecting physically the traits of Alethea and um, the Jin's last lover Saphir. Saphir, right mm-hmm. the way she like reads her book do you guys notice that yeah. yeah i did notice that yeah yeah with the finger and everything right and then there's even this part where she like she has a baby with the jinn but he never knows who that baby is and she even makes a point like oh what happens to that baby he can't answer that right there's like this weird connection i think he was trying to make that i'm not too sure completely works or is completely connective in the way that i think he wanted it to be right is it literally that somehow she is the reincarnation of this woman or is it just by coincidence that they seem to happen to read a book the very same way i think it's just drawing the similarities between the characters but it's so specific though it's too specific where if it's just a coincidence then that for me is very clunky Oh, we have to draw this very direct line. Because why did they put that in there and, yeah. and, and draw your attention to it? That or give us more story. Be like, hey, there is more backstory to this. You know, these people are actually meant to be together, but we didn't know it. Right. right. These are souls that are linked through time or something. Yeah. Right. Like, and that's what I mean. Like, I needed more of that. Mm-hmm. Like, is this a coincidence or is this like meant to be? And I don't think this movie answers that. I wanted at least that to be answered for me to really buy into this love story. Interesting. Alethea and the Jinn. So, I mean, I think, I guess you could say it's meant to be in that, you know, spoiler alert, there is in the end a happy ending, right? Mm-hmm. There's definitely no follow-up on that little visual cue, which I did notice. Yeah. That cue didn't stick with me. I didn't think to, like, follow up on that or whatever. Mm. It didn't bother me. I was just like, oh, they're kind of like the same type of person, you know, intellectuals. And... It did seem like the Jin's connection with Zephyr was probably the deepest out of all the stories that he yes. told. Mm-hmm. I think maybe that's just what we're supposed to pick up on. I don't think there's any like deeper significance to the similarity in how Zephyr and Alethea read their books. Mm-hmm. Other than, oh, like, look how similar they are, you know? But I really like the shading on Alethea's character because, you know, she's like a literary scholar and she knows all about stories about wishes and how they always turn out to be cautionary tales, right? That's what she says. But there's also this 
a push and pull with her own personal life, and she's also kind of resisting the Jin's offer for wishes because she wants to avoid, you know, making herself vulnerable to anything else that could hurt her. So I thought that was interesting. It is. It's interesting having a genre-savvy protagonist, right? Yeah. Do you think she's seen that 1997 movie Wishmaster? <laughs> Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking love right? Wishmaster. Yeah. Oh, that's the only thing I could think about when she was like the cautionary tale of like wishes. I'm like, yeah, I remember that movie. That gin was <laughs> fucked up, right? <laughs> he would like fuck up people's wishes so hard. But okay, so I do want to get a little bit into the ending. Like I kind of alluded to this already. What were your guys' thoughts about the very like Return of the King ending where it <laughs> it basically had like five or six endings? I felt mm-hmm. like, right? Like it kept fading to black and then there was a scene and then fade to black and there was a scene and it's like... Right. So the majority of the movie takes place in the hotel in Istanbul where Alethea finds the gin in the bottle and frees him. But then because of her reluctance to make any wishes, um, he tells her these stories to try and convince her to make a wish. And it's key that it has to be a real wish. It has to be her real heart's desire. She can't just wish for like a pack of M&Ms or something. Yeah, she tries wishing for things that she's about to do like right then in the moment. She's like, oh, I wish I'm going to take this sip of tea or whatever just to get the wishes over with but then uh the gin's like no you can't do that it doesn't work that way um mm-hmm. yeah. which i thought was very funny by the way yeah I thought that was yeah it was very cool fun scene uh, very yeah. clever and too. so yeah at the end of his stories he tells us uh, basically the stories of his imprisonment and his long multiple thousand year life but these are basically all love stories the stories of love and his entrapment mm-hmm. and uh after he tells his final story uh Lethea, uh gives us her First wishes was just that she wanted to be the object of his desire, the way that he desired these other women that he spoke about in his uh, in his stories. And so then the movie takes us to England, which is her home, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We get sort of a picture of a happy domestic life that's sort of leavened by the knowledge that the electromagnetic waves of like modern human society are like harmful to the gen. Which I guess is like this metaphor for how, you know, science has obviated the need for these stories. Like, mm-hmm. we're sort of literalizing that there. You know, in the end, um, it turns out he's dying from the influence of these radiation waves or the modern technology. It's just not compatible with it, him having a healthy life. So Alethea wishes for him to be able to speak again. He's so ill that he's mute at that point. And then she uh, wishes for his freedom. And then we see that he does come back and visit her from time to time. And so, yeah, there were a lot of sort of endings there. There's where the tales end in Istanbul with the love story. That's a possible ending. There's the possible ending when he's uh, getting ill and leaves, right? And there's finally the actual ending of the movie, right? Did I miss one, Derek, or is that all? Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, so there's a lot of potential endings there. I agree with you that I think the movie lost steam after they left Istanbul. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I know you have to have that domestic bliss in order to set up the tragedy of the um, the electromagnetic poisoning or whatever, but it did lose some steam there, I thought, even though it was sweet. And yeah, I don't know. The multiple ending didn't super bother me, but I, I know what you're saying. It, it did feel kind of funnily paced. I actually really like the third act a lot. I think it's touching and sweet, like you said, Amir. It is. My problem is just the connective tissue between the first act and the last You know, I think there's Mm -hmm. just something that's missing to connect those two in in a more profound way that I think the movie's missing. But there's a lot of stuff in the third act that I really, really like. I think the djinn wandering, like, the modern world, 
he fucking visits the Large Hadron Collider, which is fucking cool as shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that's really fun. He's checking out brain surgery. Going to, like, the the satellite dish, listening into like, deep space frequencies and stuff. Yeah, I thought all that was good stuff. A little bit in the airport uh, as they're leaving Istanbul is fun. Yeah. Sort of a send-up of all the worst trouble you've ever had with airport security. Yeah, there's a lot of little fun and tender bits, the racist neighbors. There's a lot of little fun bits in the third act. It's not like it's yeah. devoid of its charms at all. I don't necessarily, like, not like the ending. It's just... The strength of the movie came a lot from going into the three different stories I thought were really fun and provided like an energy that I really liked from this movie. Yeah, I agree with that. Like I've already kind of told you why the love story doesn't seem to work for me. So like when the third act is really about their love story, I kind of disengaged from the movie a little bit. Like I didn't really, sad to say, like care about it anymore. I liked the stories and once we were kind of over with that. The love story wasn't as engaging to me. I kind of checked out just a little bit. No, I got you. I'm not, I agree. I think the imagery of the stories was often very fun. Mm -hmm. One of the coolest things is uh, the sort of evil gin you see that turns into like the alien head and bursts into a whole bunch of bugs. Like, how cool was that? I love that. Yeah. yeah, his head turns into a spider and then that spider turns into like a million other little spiders. It was fucking gross. Yeah, that, was that was really, really cool. cool imagery. Yeah, I do agree. I think like the third act is like a swerve that has its moments and it's sweet, but it is missing that energy and the color and the inventiveness of the first mm -hmm. two acts where the djinn is telling the stories because that's such like a, a visual feast too, mm -hmm. right? And like you're going into a different time, even though it seems like it's a white person's view of what Asia is like, you know, but yeah. it's fine. I don't think anything was offensive, right? I think it's just yeah, no, all it very heightened and mm -hmm. exaggerated. I know there are people who are taking issue with that. I was not offended in any way. It traffics in Orientalist tropes. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you guys, what did you make of beginning of this movie when she was seeing, well, one, that little dwarf-looking thing at the airport, right? But then also she sees... An apparition when she's giving her presentation, which is uh -huh. one of the same god that we see in the first story, right? Yeah, he's like in the court of Queen Sheba yeah. or whatever. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that. And like, that's why I think there's like this thread that we are not privy to. Like, I don't know if it's cut or something. She has a line saying something about like, I've been seeing these visions for the last couple of weeks, they come, I ignore them, and they go away, and then they come back, or whatever, right? Like, there's something about her that's special beyond just her being the one that finds the bottle. Mm -hmm. Like, that's why I was, like, very invested in the whole baby thing. Like, is she supposed to be, like, one of his relatives? And then the studio's like, no, 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 we can't have him, like, fall in love with one of his, like... This isn't fucking Game of Thrones, guys. <laughs> yeah, right, this is not Game of Thrones. You can't have him fall in love with, like, his own relatives. I read it as maybe, like, the Jin's influence. Maybe, like, leading her pushing to the bottle. Her, yeah, pushing her in the right direction to find the bottle, because... He does do that in, like... That's true. That's a true. A lot of the stories, yeah, the stories right? Like, yes. he tries to Very influence true. people. Very true. And, like, people I who feel might like... Be susceptible. Yeah. Most of the time, it doesn't work, but doesn't mean that there's no effect on the people he's trying to influence when he's, like, in his little ghost mode, you know? Where, uh... I saw it sort of like in a fairy tale where, I don't know, like, the unseen world is starting to be revealed. You know, like... 
Mm. Yeah. There's always the part in the story where it's revealed to you that the world isn't as it seemed and you're going to have to go on an adventure. And that's sort of what this is. The world isn't exactly what I thought it was. Yeah. I think the first two acts are so elegant and well put together that it makes the last act feel kind of choppy. I felt like they had scenes that were just left on the cutting room floor. You know, I see that, Derek, you say that it's a little too long and seemingly too short at the same time. And I totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely am right there on the same page with you guys. It does feel a little choppy after those first two. Yeah. Because the first bit of the movie really is a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, like, surprising in any way. Like, you're introduced to this nerdy character and you go to the conference with her and all this stuff. And none of it plays out any differently than you might expect, but it's all just very well done. Yeah. And it, it, it's yeah. fun. She's fun. Her colleagues are fun. Like, the whole thing. It's just like, it's like, I like this. This is neat. Her visions are cool. All of it is fun. And all the stories are great. I think, like, these stories of love and longing where the djinn just gets screwed in the end every single time. There's something uh, powerful and emotive about that that I really, really liked. And I think Idris Elba is doing a lot of work here that, I don't know, you don't really get to see him do... That this much. kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, this kind of thing that much. Um, he plays a lot of, like, badasses and stuff, right? Yeah. Or, like, maybe not badasses, but yeah, no, I mean, he, he plays, like, these sort of... Stoic types. Yes, yeah, stoic, alpha male, not really emoting sort of guys, right? Yeah. And you're right, he gets to do something different here, which is fun. I was gonna say, I mean, I love the way he tells the stories. Like, the one I kind of go back to that I really loved is that third story, right? The one where he falls in love with... Um, Zephyr. Zephyr. I keep forgetting that name. It's super tender, you know, when he professes, like, hey, don't say that you want to forget me because that's exactly what happened to me. And, like, it broke my heart the first time and I don't want mm-hmm. it to happen again. And, like, I do think that a lot of the emotional weight does really land, you know, on uh, Elba's shoulders. And I think he pulls it off well. I think there's a balance to the Jin's character where, you know, it's kind of like an omnipotent being but then Idris Elba just like imbues it with such vulnerability and like a lot of that's like the writing too right because I think the character is very well written where he's all powerful but like he's not immune to like falling in love and like having his heart broken and ultimately she has the ultimate control because she's the one who can set him free right right so he's always going to end up trying to appeal to whoever it is who has the um the bottle. Yeah, and like the stuff with Zephyr is like really sad, right? Because, you know, he fell in love with mm-hmm. her and then for a time she did return that oh, love. Absolutely. But then, I, like, I don't think they were even out of love. It's a metaphor for like yeah. overreacting in a relationship and then you do something you can't take back, right? Yeah. Like he's smothering mm-hmm. her and she latches out in a way that makes the relationship unrecoverable. Yeah. She wishes to forget that she ever met the djinn, right? And that's something you can't take which, back which at means, all, right? Yeah. yeah, he ends up in the bottle and no one can, like, let him out. Or she doesn't remember that he existed. So that was, what, her second wish? That was her second wish. So Alethea is the only one to make all three, yeah. Right, she's mm-hmm. never able to make a third. And so he's just trapped in the bottle and she's forgotten him. So there's no way to let him out, right? I like the, the second story where the djinn, like, finally appears to that concubine. Oh, that was great. Dude, that was so she good. She gets, like, so scared. And, like, yeah. she's like, uh, I wish for you to return your bottle and, like, go back to the sea. And he's like, oh, fuck. And, you know? <laughs> Dude, that was yeah. so funny. I thought that was awesome. Because yeah. it's like, yeah, a lot of people would have yeah. that reaction. Like, if 
I don't know, what they thought was like a demon or a djinn was speaking to them, a lot of people's reaction would be like, uh, get the fuck out of here. I'm not talking to you. You're the <laughs> yeah. devil. Like, what? So I, I did really like that reaction. I thought it was a super realistic, like, such a yeah. humanizing trait for her, right? I also love the comedic essence of like how she actually finds that bottle, right? The kids weren't like strong enough to lift it and like, you know, he couldn't convince the actual brothers to retrieve him, but like she just happened to like slips and falls, yeah. Slips and falls and like breaks open the bottle, which yeah. I thought was pretty funny. Does George Miller have like a fucking Does he have a thing with fatness or something? Cuz wasn't there some shit in fucking Mad Max Fury Road too? Oh, I can't remember. The fat women in like a Morton Joe Citadel or whatever. Yeah, I think so. I think some of that imagery is very similar. Right? Is like, yeah, mm-hmm. but like, I'm on. Is there like something there? Like, is he like fucking fatphobic or some shit? I don't uh, know. I don't know. I don't know. It's like a it's just, fetish or something. Maybe I don't think so because it's. I don't know. It doesn't seem entirely positive. Like, I think you're supposed to laugh at it. Yeah, a little bit. I don't think he portrayed those fat concubines as particularly sexy. And I think you could have. Mm. I mean, it is pretty gross when the brother reaches his hand out and like touches the mother and the mother has yeah, i don't yeah, know yeah. what on yeah, her. Yeah, like yeah, i was yeah, like yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> i was like that's gross <laughs> a little funny but fucking gross like <laughs> i don't think that's a fat thing i think that's a sex thing you know like i think that's a I, yeah I, I understand but like it's all still kind of revolves around this room of like heavy right. set concubines right so it's like adding to like the disgust profile of it yeah yeah We'll, we'll cancel George Miller for his fat phobia. And, and, and what's the line from Community? I can tolerate racism, but I draw the line of fat phobia. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it did raise some eyebrows for me. Yeah, and overall, it sounds like we all have really similar thoughts about this movie. We all kind of love the first, what, two thirds of this movie, and all of us have our issues with the final act. Ultimately, like, I, I don't know if I can recommend it. Is that what you're about to say? Recommend this movie? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't run out and be like, you gotta see this. Yeah. But if you went and saw it, I bet you'd enjoy it. Because actually, like, I had a family member go and see it. And uh, she liked it. So, like, okay, I think that it does have appeal. It's a sweet story. They're good actors. Like, there's a lot of ways in which it's a very beautiful movie. As much as we've been critiquing it, it doesn't deserve to do as badly no. as it's doing. Right? It's kind of no. getting screwed here. To be honest, this is one of the better movies I've seen this year. I mean, it's not in, like, the upper echelon. I don't think it's going to make my top 10 list. But I really did like this movie. But it's, like, probably top 20, right? Yeah, yeah for it's sure. Like, it's, like, in that top 20 range. That's how I feel about it. It's probably in that, like, second yeah. tier. And granted, I don't see a billion movies a year. It's maybe not the same as somebody who sees a whole ton of movies. Like, you missed, like, 50 movies that are way better. But, yeah, for me, I think it's in that, like, second echelon of a good movie that I like, good actors, good director, some problematic elements, some things that don't fully gel. but. It's not like dog shit. I'm not like, oh, no, no one should go see this, or I'm totally going to actively avoid it. Or I think if you're going in expecting Mad Max Fury Road, you're going to be disappointed. For sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm raising my hand right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this movie's going to throw you for a loop. No, it's I, yeah. not what you think. It's dialogue heavy. Oh, yeah. It's just a gin telling stories, you know? And, all right, I think I would give this like a B plus. Is that too strong? I think, Derek, you're leaning towards that's a little too strong. <laughs> I think it's a little too strong for me because, like, a B plus. For me, that's, like, a movie I'd want to revisit then, right? Like, I think it, down the line, I'd be like, oh, yeah, one day I might revisit this movie. Like, not to say that this is bad because I'm not saying that. It's just I don't know if I never need to watch this movie again. Right. I get what you're saying. You saw it. You got it. And, like, all right, we got it. We got it. Yeah, I might revisit this one. 
Yeah, but maybe that's just me, right? Like, you know, you still can give a B-plus to a movie that you'll never see again, right? Like, which is totally fine. I know they're not the same director, but, like, if instead of re-watching this, like, the elements of this that I liked, I'd go and watch, like, I don't know. You ever seen The Fall? Tarsum Sings The Fall. Yeah, the people are making a lot of comparisons to Tarsum Sings The Fall. You know what I mean? Like, I'd go see that. Or I'd go watch, if it's gotta be a George Miller, I'd probably watch one of the Mad Maxes again or something, you know? Yeah. Or, so I mean, I brought this, this up, like, I kind of want to go watch Wishmaster again. I haven't watched that since I was young, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that was like um, a fucking bonkers-ass movie. But yeah, I don't know if I'm ever going to be compelled to watch this again. I think I'm with you. I don't know if I need to see this again. I think a movie which has fantastic imagery, but just where everything gels, at least for me, uh, was more like last year's The Green Knight, mm. right? Hmm. If you want to see a movie with like really nice, fantastical imagery, it's a completely different story. But like that's something I'd go rewatch. I think I couldn't give it a B plus because like I don't think the ending completely works. And like a B plus, I think should have at least an ending that works. I don't know. I mean, I think it works better. Yeah, for I don't you, think right, the ending Jeff? doesn't work. It's just how choppy it is going from the second to the third act, you know, and yeah. and the tonal whiplash of the storytelling marathon that we had, which is so lush and colorful and vivid into almost like a domestic drama, which I admire the swing. Mm -hmm. I admire the swerve there, but I just don't think it totally works. But I don't think the ending doesn't work. It's just a little disjointed for me, you know? That's fair. I might go B. That's fair. I think that's fair. I might go B. But yeah. Let's do the range. I'll say B (laughs) minus. There you go. Averaging out to a B. (laughs) Um, Is there anything else you guys wanted to bring up? No, I think that's it. Uh, like you said, it, it's a bit slight. It doesn't stick too much in the mind. There's not too, too much to talk about. I don't know if it needs a rewatch. But I think it deserves more of a first watch than it's been getting. It's definitely getting a little yes. bit screwed here. Yeah, yeah hopefully like maybe sure. VOD or like some streaming service or something. All the profits are, are trapped in a bottle for the next 3,000 years. <laughs> maybe it'll take 3,000 years to make its money back. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's harsh. Did you get George Miller welcoming to the movies? Yes, yes I, I did. did. I did. I don't know. I guess this, everybody's doing that. It feels kind of sad. It feels like he's begging for coins where, like, Tom Cruise is like, oh, check out this fucking mega blockbuster Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. George Miller's like, thank you for coming to see my poor movie. Which is really sad, actually, because I think they really just don't make movies like this anymore. And I think just yeah. seeing something like this, it kind of warms my heart. I think I have a soft spot for stuff like this. Also, I almost died watching this movie, by the way. What? After what I mean? left the theater, I realized I forgot my keys in the theater. But it was like oh. 11.30 at night. And I saw it at AMC Empire, which is like above a Dave & Buster's. And the main entrance was closed. I couldn't get back in. So I had to go up through Dave & Buster's and go against the escalator. It's a down escalator. I had to go up a down escalator. But it's like the giant down escalator. So, like, I spent, like, five minutes going up this down escalator, (laughs) and, like, I thought I was going to have, like, a fucking coronary event at the top of this thing. I've never done, like, this much cardio in, like, my life. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. One question. Why was there no up Or a stair or an elevator. Because it closed. Oh, so it's only allowing you to go down. Yeah, it's only allowing you to go down, because they want everyone to leave. But they're, like, midnight showing, so I don't know why they did that, but whatever. I was really feeling it. I thought I was going to die. (laughs) <laughs> but I got my but keys. You were still able to go back in. I got my keys. keys. I got okay. my keys. <laughs> nice. If Jeff had a gin at that point, he would have wished for his keys and <laughs> really meant it. It'd be like, hey, give me these keys so I don't have to go up this escalator. <laughs> 
Dang, you got out late from that movie. I know. You're pulling a, a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they'll give George Miller the keys to the DC universe, you know? Maybe let him make oh, the yeah. Justice League Mortal movie that we never got. I would kill to see that. That sounds awesome. Yeah, the problematic Justice League movie. Keep Army Hammer as Batman. Keep Ezra Miller as, as Flash. Flash. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Army Hammer was supposed to be Batman in that, right? Yeah, I believe he was cast as Batman in, in his original yeah Justice League. I still think George Miller is one of our more versatile filmmakers. I like him a lot. I want to see him do more things. I want to see him succeed. And it's sad that this movie's not making any money. Mm-hmm. Free also will make money because it's part of uh, an established franchise now. Yeah. This was definitely a one for him, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely a one for him, right? I mean, like, produced, co-wrote, co-directed? Yeah. From the heart. does make me feel more kindly disposed towards it because it is a, a tender, sweet kind of movie. Yeah. I think some of the discourse around the movie is funny where people are like, well, they just marketed this movie like shit. Which I will admit the trailer is bad, but... I don't think there's a problem with the exposure of the movie because I see trailers on YouTube and like I see the posters on the buses and the billboards and stuff. I've been seeing them. I just think people just aren't interested because someone's like, oh, I've only seen it on like YouTube and TV commercials and stuff. I was like, motherfucker, that means they got you. They got you with the marketing. <laughs> it work on you, right? Uh, which I think is funny. I guess I'll concludes this week's episode uh jeff where can people find more of your work you can find me on my blog at strangeharbors.com and you can also find me on twitter and instagram at strangeharbors what about you guys uh, you can find me in my genie's bottle in lieu of doing all the work i'm supposed to be doing what about you jeff? <laughs> you can find me at the world's okayest photos and screen agents guild on instagram but if you like this podcast, the easiest way to support our podcast is to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any of the other popular podcast apps. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do us a favor and give us a great rating. It really helps to get our podcast out to more people. Yeah, if any of your questions, comments, suggestions on our episode on 3,000 Years of Longing, feel free to shoot us an email at jeff at strangeharbors.com. We like getting emails. Sometimes we read them out in the pod. And with that, we will see you guys next week. See you next week, everybody. See you guys then.